Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Jessica Chiam, founder and managing editor of Eco Business, and I'm excited to introduce the first in a series of discussions about the world of sustainable business here in Asia Pacific. Today, we are here in our brand new studio at the SDG Collaborative in Singapore. The SDGs stand for the Sustainable Development Goals, a set of development targets adopted by members of the United Nations that address poverty, hunger, and inclusive growth. This podcast series, Let's Write the Future, is supported by ABB. And in this episode, we will be focusing on an exciting topic, the future of energy. And our guest for today's podcast is Dr. Sanjay Kutan, Program Director at the Energy Research Institute at NTU, also known as Ariane. Dr. Sanjay was formerly the Director and Country Manager of the Clean Technology Centre at DNVGL. Prior to that, he worked at various companies including ExxonMobil, McKinsey & Company, as well as in government at the Energy Market Authority, where he was involved in the EV testbed and clean energy programmes. He is also a council member of the Sustainable Energy Association of Singapore. Hi Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. Thank you Jessica, good morning to you too. So this morning's topic, the future of energy, you know, this is a really daunting but exciting subject, I think. And really, if you think about energy, the biggest force of change for this industry has been climate change. And in the past few years, this has climbed business and political agendas. And now there is this urgency to deal with the issue and to transition the global economy into a low carbon energy system. So I want to ask you, are we getting there? And what do you think is going to play out in the coming decade? Uh, definitely for sure we're getting there. I think the major concern is pace, uh, how fast we need to get there. Uh, so I think going forward, um, a lot of countries now need to wrap their head around existing infrastructure, existing policy, and they have to make a critical look at what they need to change in order to accelerate that pace of uh, addressing climate change issues. So, with regards to the energy sector, what do you think is going to be a real disruptive force in the years to come? Definitely in the midterm, you'll see renewables making an impact on the share uh, of contribution to the energy sector. So that will definitely happen. But if you look further out, I think we need to be prepared for a different type of safer nuclear technology that can give you the kind of uh, low carbon emissions plus a high energy uh, production as well. Do you think our energy mix is going to change anytime soon? When you see our, you're talking about the Singapore global or global? Yes, I think you, it's already changing. Uh, a lot of countries are really going to renewables, so the shift has already started. And I, I'm, what I'm really glad about, if you go back five years, everyone was waiting for someone else to do it. Today, every country has decided to do it uh, on their own and not wait for some a global agreement and people are moving forward already. So there is going to be a sh massive shift in the, in the mix for sure. That's interesting. And how about Singapore? I mean, Singapore is very heavily reliant on natural gas at the moment. Do you think that's going to change anytime soon? Uh, no, uh, primarily because we don't have that much resor natural resources. And I think what we're already doing with solar, we're trying to squeeze out as much as we can to deploy solar wherever we, uh, we are able to. So we, you're looking at the reservoirs, you're looking at rooftops. We don't have that ability to um, uh, deploy a lot more renewable resources. One option is how we cooperate with our neighbours. So if, if 
for example, we are able to use the space in Johor or the southern islands uh, of Indonesia from us and then uh, bring the renewables in, that will change that mix. But I think at the moment, because of cost factors, the, it's not going to change that much in terms of our renewable mix in Singapore. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. So, I mean, if you think about the energy landscape, it's really evolving very quickly. And we're, you know, talking about renewable energy, battery storage, peer-to-peer -peer sharing, demand response. Um, with all these in mind, you know, what, what is your vision of a smart energy future? Are these technologies going to do dominate our, our lives? Definitely. I think a smart energy future means we take out waste stage and we decarbonize. I think that these are the two things that must happen and they call upon very different types of solutions. So in energy efficiency, you're really looking at taking out wastage and I think renewables will help decarbonize. With the demand response mechanisms, what you're trying to do is can you defer capex investment by actually managing your load and supply in a very smart way and that will help you reduce uh, wastage both in capital costs of energy and also the way we use energy as well. So, I mean, if you think about renewables, it seems like a no-brainer, right? Um, so, wh why is it so difficult for countries and for organisations to adopt it? Why are we not seeing more of it? What do you think are the main obstacles? I think first is political will. I think it's uh, some countries are on board and some countries are still wrapping their heads around it. Then there's the old uh, issue around the incumbents. There's a lot of investment already in current infrastructure. Do you completely depreciate all that cost that has been put in, all that capital cost, who's going to pay for that entire depreciation? Mm -hmm. So you have the incumbent uh, barriers that you need to deal with. And then this is where some of these issues from a financing perspective, because loans have been taken, how do you recover all that? So in a situation where you have existing infrastructure, these are the challenges. I think in a situation where you don't have infrastructure in place already, then renewables becomes the fastest way to deploy and electrify uh, areas where there are no electricity today. Mm -hmm. You're talking about like off-grid villages. Off-grid villages, you know, uh, where the infrastructure cost barriers are not high. Mm -hmm. Or to get electricity to the villages is going to cost a lot more than just building around that area. So, Are you seeing huge adoption of such technologies in these locations? Uh, they, they have started, but there's too much dependency, I feel, on uh, getting funding from benevolent people, uh, World Bank, you know, uh, other financing institutions. So you're actually depending on people to do goodwill to fund these projects, and you're not going to get pace. So we are, we are getting traction, but we're not getting the pace that we need to address climate change. So right? who should be funding it? So, so I think we need to be smart enough to come up with business models that are self-sustainable. That means when, uh, you've got to think of it this way. It is just not bringing electricity to the people. What does it, how does the people's life change? If you bring power, can you create jobs? And in creating jobs, there's a revenue stream. Then how do you create the cost of electricity versus the revenue from factories or small-scale factories? Um, the cost of uh, the benefits of electricity is bringing medication, hospitals, uh, you know, you're, you're bringing schools. So there's other cost factors that are, are actually embedded in the whole cost structure of energy, you know. So who, who has to show the leadership to take this on, though? Definitely the governments. The governments need to have the 
the plan to do it, mm -hmm. and then find a way how to fund it. If you if you have good taxpayers who actually pay their taxes, then the government can also fund these kind of projects. So, in your view, is there any Asian country that's ahead? That any government here that's you know doing the right thing when it comes to? Adoption? I think if I look at Southeast Asia, Thailand is a, a leader in this, considering their the size of their country and the complexity mm -hmm. that they have. I see Thailand uh, over the years have been very focused on getting as much renewables out. What uh, has enabled that? I think partly it's political will. Okay. And, uh, and I think there's enough money in the system to allow you to fund that. Because you have essentially the Provisional Electric Authority and the Metropolitan Electric Authority. And I think between PEA and private sector, they realize that they need to bring more renewables into the community. And I think they're finding ways to do that. Uh, you know? But I think it's because the government has put in a target, you know, a desire from a nation, a vision. Mm -hmm that people can work off. I think the important thing to realize for businesses, businesses actually need certainty, right? If we are wishy-washy with our policies and we are ooing and eyeing on whether we should or should not do, businesses cannot plan. But once we say we want to achieve something, then business can wrap their heads around it and then they can start doing the math and trying to work out what's their return on investment because they know for certain that this policy will pull through all their efforts and investments, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So certainty for business is very important. Mm, that's really interesting. I want to move the attention really to consumers because, I mean, you think about energy, people turn on the lights, they turn on the air conditioning, they don't really think about where the energy is coming from. But it's really important now that the energy source is coming from a low carbon source. So what are companies and governments doing to engage the consumers? Are consumers being given the choice to choose cleaner, more responsible forms of energy? Uh, in the future, yes. And I think uh, with the market liberalization that's coming out in the third quarter of next year. This is Singapore. This is Singapore. Um, you will definitely have a sense that when the retailers go out to market, they're going to have to package different deals because they just can't be selling electricity. Mm -hmm. They need to sell what, what other value propositions, how do they, you know, whether it's a shopping voucher or access to green electrons, you know, whatever it is, people they need. And I think that whole process will create awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got to look at uh, the consumer in uh, different parts. Children today in schools are educated about being green and being sustainable. So they are very conscious of it, right? It is our generation uh, that is in that more transition mode. You know, we came from where we didn't really think about it and now everyone is talking about it. So their parents are the ones who need to be convinced that this is the right thing to do. And, you know, and I think our generation is the one that if the government doesn't do it, means can't be that good. You know what I mean? You, you know, you wait for the government to take a step. But I think the younger generation already been educated in in a way that they will move forward. So they will start pushing the green agenda mm -hmm. a lot harder than our generation. Mm -hmm. But our generation cannot form the barriers for that. We need to start uh, laying, you know, bashing through some of the foliage so that the, the next generation can walk through a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And we need to put in place things that actually will facilitate the um, sustainable movement in the future. So you're saying that energy liberalisation will be good in terms of raising consumer awareness about green for energy? For sure, for yeah. sure. Hmm, that's really interesting. But is any other country in Asia doing that apart from Singapore? 
Uh, I think it's uh, it's a question of market structure. So the market structures in different countries actually are quite different. They're not they're not in the same mode, right? So in uh, definitely in the US, there's a um, there's a lot of realization because they are actually pushing for renewables to reduce the uh, drawing from fossil fuel. There's two parts of that story, right? One is, of course, you want to decarbonize and be environmentally friendly. But the other thing is the, the GENCOs have an obligation to provide a certain service level of like power. With demand growing, then you either have to put in new CAPEX, which is very costly, and then you have a whole 25-year recovery period to think about. So for a lot of Jenkos, if I can defer my capital expenditure by having demand response systems, more distributed renewables, then I can ma maintain the service level that I need within that uh, infrastructure that I put in place. If you look at Australia, Australia is now really marching ahead. They're saying by 2030, they want up to 30-40% of renewables in their system, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of uh, signals that help drive the market to that. Okay. The market structure is very different in different countries. So, you know, it's very hard to answer that question, yeah. you know, what's happening here and compare it to other places. Yeah. But the fact that we have decided to go to full retail contestability to let the consumer decide what they want to use in terms of electrons, the color of the electrons, right? That's a big step for us. And every country will need to find their own uh, sweet spot or own dynamics around this. So my next question really is, when you talk about the future of energy, I don't think you can exclude the discussion on carbon taxes. And I think around the world, you're seeing carbon taxes being implemented as well as cap and trade. Singapore itself has introduced carbon tax, the first Southeast Asian country to do so. Can you talk a little bit about the implications of the carbon tax on the energy sector? Yeah, so um, there a couple of things to think about, right? Uh, taxing is easy. But what do you do with the tax and how does the tax impact the behavior, right? So, so you need to get to the right tax level first if you want to change behaviors. So in a way, if the fine for doing something wrong is so small, people will say, ah, what the hell, I'll just carry on doing it, right? You need to make it painful enough to shift people. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that we have opened the door, you know, you know, it's like the door is always shut now, you've got a stone there and then it helps you open the door further for future changes, right? Like our GST, right? So the same thing. So I, the first thing is, can we change behaviours with the current tax regime? And I, I think not. But it's a so good. The tax is still too low. I think it's too low still. How much is it? Uh, it's it's between ten to twenty dollars per metric ton okay. of CO two. That works out to, I think, four uh, zero point four cents. So zero point five. You know, it's really kind of on the kilowatt hour but basis. Maybe it's a matter of like signaling the industry that this is happening, and then maybe do correct, in correct. Future, right? But if you if you're a big guzzler. That small number is multiplied by a big number, it actually becomes a significant number. Which means for the big guzzlers, they're saying, okay, now if I do energy efficiency projects, there's a, there's a potential incentive to reduce my consumption. So it's going to change the behavior of the big consumers of electricity to some degree. Right, I think if you, it's higher, it becomes uh, the justification and ROI becomes uh, better for a lot of these projects. But for the consumer, we may not really feel it. You know, you, you'll see it go up, but you know, depending on your current bill, you, it's going to be marginal. So you're not going to change the way we use electricity at home. Mm -hmm. But what we need to do is to be conscious and not wait for taxation. Mm -hmm 
to change our behavior, but just do it for the right reasons anyway. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the more you switch off the light when it's not being used, you're already saving money already. Yeah, that's right. right? But I mean, do you think that uh, energy companies now are really thinking about carbon tax and how that's going to affect Yes. You know, the investment decisions as well as, you know, how they provide energy. Yes, I, I'm sure it's in the bo- it's a boardroom discussion already, mm-hmm. right? But uh, like I said, it's a, the quantum makes a difference in terms of the severity of the discussion. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the market today, a lot of the Gencos are suffering in Singapore, right? Because we've got 14 gigawatts of installation on a 7 gigawatt peak. So we've got so much excess capacity and everyone has a take or pay uh, deal on the gas. So if I'm not burning the gas, I still pay a fine. Okay. Right? So I'm not balancing the amount of my fine do I pay and the amount of uh, how much electricity that I actually pump into the grid. Mm-hmm. So they're they are balancing these two costs. Now, this additional cost comes to them. They really need to start thinking of how do we get smarter with our systems. Why do we have so much excess capacity in our supply? Why do we have so much capacity in our supply? Well, because there, the, at, when the economy was growing very fast, there, there, was, uh, there was anticipated greater development in the petrochemicals sector on Jurong Island, I presume. Mm-hmm. Right? And in, in therefore, the anticipation there'll be higher energy requirements from the manufacturing on the petrochemical se- sector. And I, I think the downturn surprised a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this whole transition we're going through was not something people predicted, right? Mm. But what can we do with that excess energy? I mean, it's wasted every day. No, no, no. It's uh, it's not it's not wasted. Uh, the, you're always producing what you need. Okay. But you have all this extra capacity to generate. So right. the capital is not being uh, used, right? So eventually, painfully, you might see consolidation. Okay. So you'll see some uh, Jenkos going belly up or being absorbed and there'll be consolidation in the market. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good for... It's more efficient. It's, right? It becomes more efficient because the other downfall is the lower your loads are on running your turbines, the, you run at an inefficient range. Mm-hmm. So you need to run your uh, gas turbines at a higher load to get the f- full efficiency effect. So there's no point buying a highly efficient gas turbine mm-hmm. on nameplate, but you're running it at 30-40%. That's right. Because you lose all that effic- efficiency from the technology, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the kind of things people are grappling with. So I think consolidation will be will happen. The other thing we need to think about is all this tax dollars, where does it go? Mm-hmm. How does it how can it be used to fuel uh, new behaviors or new investments into clean energy, a cleaner energy, yeah. correct? Right. So we, how do we take those tax dollars to kind of reinvest in a, a low carbon uh, and a good behavior technology, even if it's energy efficiency or you know more solarization? Um, I think wind is still maybe on the shoreline at best, and some of the offshore islands. Mm-hmm. You know, I think urban wind is still too expensive uh, from my LCOE. Unless people are benevolent enough to donate, you know. But I think in reality is can't depend on donation all the mm-hmm. time. That's really interesting. Wouldn't it be really cool if like all the ASEAN countries could like buy and trade energy in renewables? For example, if we have excess energy, sell it to Malaysia or Indonesia, or they supply uh, renewable energy to us. I mean, they're both blessed abundantly with wind and solar and geothermal. But will we ever get there? 
Yeah, well, they've been talking about it for 25 years. Oh, the, my point. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, ASEAN power grid uh, is definitely on the agenda of the ASEAN uh, community leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, Hapua, the head of uh, uh, utilities across Asia Pacific, discuss this every year. Mm-hmm. You know, well, what is the challenge? Why okay, can't we get over so the so let, let's think about it, right? If I wanted to sell Singapore electricity to Malaysia, what price do I sell it at? Mm-hmm. Now, the Malay- because the countries around us have subsidized electricity. Right, that's another problem. That's the big problem, right? right? So I think the first thing everyone needs to kind of uh, stand up and say, we have to reflect the true price or true cost of electricity within our communities, that's right. right? We can't get that uh, barrier off the plate, then it's going to be very difficult to exchange. Mm-hmm. But there is there was a pilot that started... Uh, about one and a half years ago, mm-hmm. they call it the they call it the Lao Thai Malaysian Singapore pilot, mm-hmm. right? And that's really to see if we wanted to buy hydropower, one hundred megawatts from Lao, right, all the way to Singapore. How do we would do it? So it's not a physical thing; it's actually a contractual the thing. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and that has been done by uh, ASEAN. Okay. To as a pilot to see how that would work at first, mm-hmm. then you got all the grid code issues. How do you actually link the the systems together on the grid code? We all have different grid codes, mm-hmm. and uh, ADB had funded a project to actually see how we could harmonize the grid code. So they they are slowly building or uh, getting rid of all the problems. Right, mm-hmm. the big elephant in the room is can you price electricity properly? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the always the argument is then the poor people get affected, right? And so what uh, what Singapore did was very smart, right? They reflect the true price of electricity in the market. But for people who are marginalized, you can get rebates through your USAVE and things like that. So this is what other countries should be doing, right? We reflect the true price of electricity. So the rich people who are guzzlers will pay the true cost. And then you have uh, schemes to support the uh, bottom of the pyramid uh, users of uh, energy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of sense. And when you do that, you'll find that a lot of energy efficiency projects become more and more viable. Mm-hmm. Because if the price of electricity is so low, you will never be able to get a uh, return on your investment for uh, putting more efficient in, uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. So these are the things, there's some structural issues in South Asia that needs to be solved. Mm. Mm. That's very interesting. Coming to your work at NTU, can you perhaps share with us, you know, what are some of the interesting projects that you're working on? Okay, so um, in line, NTU tries to support uh, two communities, right? The first major community is Singapore. And then there's a, a larger community of everyone along the equatorial belt. So what we call tropicalization uh, of smart cities, you know, and the issues around that. So in Singapore, we, we, we take... Um, uh, signals from the government in a way because a lot of the funding that comes through NRF all comes from supporting government initiatives. So like when we talk about smart nation, smart energy and things like that. So a lot of the projects we are doing is funded from, from those buckets. So uh, like uh, on my project, we're, we're, we're building a software to optimize energy use, multi-energy systems within an estate. Okay. Right. So how do you balance the different energy f- uh, vectors right? so that you can actually uh, reduce uh, low utilization, 
right, and increase uh, the capex utilization as well of the of these uh, systems, right. So you try to use intelligence with the with IoT, with sensors, with smart algorithms, you know, to to actually allow you to balance supply uh, and demand, right. And the same time, you what we are trying to do is to provide insight. So it's not enough just to monitor. It's no no point just telling someone your energy usage is ten kilowatts uh, hour, for example. So, so what do I do with it, mm. right? So you want to be have a system that tells you you should be actually at eight. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be at 10, right. right? And the reason why you're at 10 is because you've got these three things running, right? Do you need to have them on? If you turn them off, you can get back to eight. So you need to provide insights from those observations to help people do action. So you, need, you want to translate information to action. Mm-hmm. And I think when we get there and we are smart about doing things like that, then you'll see a greater impact from the kind of research we are trying to do at Arian. But Arian has a lot of other blocks. We've got the autonomous vehicles. You know, we've got smart buildings group. We've got a group that's looking at uh, small scale wind turbines and tidal flow. Mm-hmm. And also we've got energy storage group. So we had different parts of the energy mm-hmm. system, but we're trying to pull it all together through an IoT backbone sensor technology, and we're building that capabilities at the moment. Realistically speaking, when are we going to see practical applications of all these new solutions? Some of them are already there. They already started. The pilots have started. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, like AVs, you're looking at autonomous vehicles, you know, 10 years maybe. Mm-hmm for full-scale deployment, right? But you can have small contained areas where you can actually have those running, Mm -hmm. right? So, and it's a question of scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Renewables and uh, uh, microgrid uh, optimizations systems are already being deployed, Mm -hmm. right? One of the things we are working, uh, looking at is how do we actually put in place DC systems in buildings? And the reason for that is when your solar generates electrons, it's generated in a DC current. And we do a lot of conversion to AC, and there are a lot of losses in that conversion. If you can directly inject from the solar into a DC grid in the building, you save up to 15% energy. And then if you run it all for all your LED lights, your plug points and everything, you can mount energy savings can happen, right? So we are actually now building a pilot to do, demonstrate that. And then hopefully we, we, we will learn everything that needs to be learned about how to deploy and the safety requirements that new buildings that come up can start designing this into their systems. Mm. It's costly to rip out everything that's already put there. But what you want to do is for the future building that comes up, what are the kind of infrastructure that would actually facilitate greater energy savings? Mm. So these things will happen very quickly over the next five years for some of these technologies. Very interesting. And on the question of the future, I've got a fun question for you. So you know there are lots of films and books depicting the future and a lot of it is quite dystopian. But when you think about future of energy, is there a particular... Um, you know, piece of uh, content that you particularly like? You think it's an accurate depiction of the future? Mm. <laughs> Sorry, this is you on the spot. Yeah, yeah, this is really putting on my spot. First thing you assume I read. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. Or <laughs> oh, I watch movies. <laughs> oh, I wish I could do more. <laughs> so now I'm really struggling to find... Because I do want to name a book that, oh my God, that book was 30 years old. <laughs> he's, still, <laughs> he's still reading that. But I think uh, in the future, 
it would be really great if we can get rid of fossil fuel. I mean, that will be the ultimate, right? You know, and we are totally uh, running on um, uh, energy produced by water, the splitting of water and the reconstitution of water, you know, uh, from renewables, from biomass, you know, from our waste, you know. Actually, we have all of them, you know. It's not that it can't, we can't do it, but we just can't do it efficiently and at scale, mm -hmm. right? So the, all the, the building blocks has been provided by Mother Nature. Yes, that's right. You know, it's just for us to pull those building blocks together uh, quickly, right, and do it at scale. I think the other thing people must accept that the electricity must be priced a lot higher, right, so that we can enable a lot of these things. Because we always complain we want to be green, but I don't want to pay for it. And that argument doesn't hold anymore. We need to be prepared to pay for it now, otherwise we'll be paying for it <laughs> in a very different way. You know, we may not have a world to, that we want to live in, you know. So I think we need to adjust our expectations and I and I think, you know, paying per unit is very different by paying lump, uh, a total bill. So if we save enough, right, even if the per unit cost is higher, but if we save enough, we may not be out of pocket so much or, you know, it'll be marginal. So our behaviours cannot uh, digress to a point where, so I mentioned society being conscious, you know, it's, uh, I, was, I, I, want, I wanted to write an article about conscious living, mm. right, because I was at a workshop and we talk, started talking about conscious living and I said, if we can actually have conscious living at the home unit and everyone is conscious of doing the right thing, not just in energy, in everything we do and being conscious of the environment that we live in with the people and the neighbourhood, we actually will create a, a, a world which is much better for everyone. And I think that to me, you know, I don't know what movie or book it is, but you know, if I was going to write a book, I would write a book about a community where everyone is so super conscious about every action they do, right, uh, that will impact the people and the world around them, that they will always be doing the right thing. You know, they'll deliberate and think, okay, this is the right thing to do and get together. I think that'll be my storyline. I don't know if it's going to be a, uh, <laughs> a bestseller, a bestseller <laughs> at all, but you know. Thank you so much, Sanjay. On that note, I think, you know, it's a perfect way to end our discussion. So thank you so much for being here for most insightful um, dialogue. And I hope our listeners have learned something today or at the very least have been entertained by our discussion. Thank you. We hope to have you back again. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you very much. That's all for now, folks. I hope that you stay tuned for our next podcast. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness at the SDG Co, a co-working space and hub for collaboration on sustainable development here in Singapore and Asia-Pacific. EcoBusiness is the leading media organisation on responsible business, clean tech and sustainable development serving the Asia-Pacific community. This episode is part of the Let's Write the Future podcast series, which was supported by ABB. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletter, which brings you interesting news from around the region. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next one.